0: They just get fancier and fancier, don't they? I mean, me and Jacob were talking about, after that, we could sell things for Macy's. We could go into really any Hallmark Christmas movie. Uh, Man, perfect segue into this morning. This season is all about hype. It is all about hype. And that was hype. And I am hyped. I love hype. I, I literally think if... I'll just believe the most excited person in the room, uh, regardless of what they're saying. If they are the most passionate about it, I'm like, yeah, even if they're wrong, it's going to be fun. So let's follow that person. Let's do whatever they're excited about doing. Uh, And that is the case for everything but the gospel in my life. So just so we're clear there. It is all about hype this time of the year. We've got Christmas trees going up, we have lights being hung, and the deal there, it's the 11th commandment, thou shalt not hang Christmas lights until after Thanksgiving. It is an extra-biblical command. <laughs> this side of the room, a bunch of legalistic Pharisees, but this side, freeing Jesus over here, I love it. I would say I'm also a Pharisee, though, uh, because we were going to go camping, we then got, It didn't get rained out or anything like that. We got temperatureed out. The temperature dropped down into the uh, high 30s, and we decided that probably wouldn't be the best bet for our family, and our two little girls. And so we decided we were going to decorate for Christmas a week early, which put it out before Thanksgiving, so that when we returned home after Thanksgiving, we would be able to enjoy the Christmas decor. And I feel like I need to ask you for forgiveness because as I prepared this sermon in the light of a sinful Christmas tree, (laughs) I was driven by the hype that was decor of Christmas before Thanksgiving, and that is never acceptable. As for me and my house, we will put Christmas decorations up after Thanksgiving, okay? So please forgive me, Um, legalistic people, us that are free in Jesus, we're, we're already good. I was already forgiven by you. I do have a question though, Uh, since we have moved to Arizona, I've always just kind of wondered what are we supposed to do with the stockings, okay? So any house we've we've ever lived in, it's gotten cold enough, you have a fireplace, It's something that you put fire in, you set it on fire, you don't put fire, you put logs in there, you don't just, here's this fire, let me move into the fireplace. You always put the stockings over or on the hearth of the fireplace, okay? They never caught on fire, it was a really good system. Since we've moved to Arizona, nobody has fireplaces because the sun tries to kill us year-round. And so I'm wondering, what do we do with these stockings? Do we just find the closest cactus, just kind of throw it at the cactus? Does it hang there? And then Santa comes. I'm not really sure how this works right now. They're just placed under our tree. And it's like they're supposed to be there, okay? It's kind of like, I don't know, they're slightly off-centered. But I don't know, I I hope Santa figures it out. It's the time of year that we celebrate right? We have eggnog, we have apple cider, we have hot cocoa on tap. This is the kind of time of year where we watch all of our favorite Christmas movies. So on the count of three, we're all going to say our favorite Christmas movie, okay? One, two, three. Die hard. Exactly. Yes. And all God's people said, die hard. Uh, The greatest Christmas movie ever. Only to be followed up by Elf, okay? We have Christmas family traditions, we have family gatherings, and it starts at the hecticness of Thanksgiving, and it just continues all the way I feel like until January 1st, but that is part of the hype of this time of year, and it's not just us, this is all over the world, and so I've got some examples for you of how Christmas is celebrated in four different countries around the world this morning, and I want to start in Japan, okay, let's go to the east. In Japan, on Christmas, turkey does not exist, okay? KFC has monopolized the country of Japan to where people only eat KFC on Christmas. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm a selfish American. I've never thought about Christmas in any other country. And when I found out that KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, had a monopoly on everything that goes down Christmas morning in Japan to the extent of You have to order your chicken for Christmas Day months in advance. And then when your order is ready, you don't get to set what time of day it's ready. They call you. All right? Now, you might ask yourself the question, how did this get put into play? Well, they live in really small apartments, really small living quarters, which means they have really small ovens. And KFC said, hey, you know what? With clever enough marketing, we can take over an entire country for one day. <laughs> and so that is exactly what they did. You order months in advance. Uh, it's crazy. The colonel, he still looks the same. I don't know how this thing happened, but it did. But it is by far not the craziest. In Norway, in Norway, they believe that on Christmas Eve, kind of christmas eve kind of coincides it kind of lines up with this same evening that evil spirits and witches come out and so what they do is they take the brooms in their house their brooms there they're much less pixelated than this picture right here they hide the brooms because one time a long time ago everybody woke up and either their brooms were missing or they were broken here's what i think happened I think a lot of husbands got tired of their wives asking them to sweep. They came together in the town square, and they said, boys, here's the plan. You know those brooms that we keep sweeping with? Hide them. And if you can't hide it somewhere, take that thing, you snap it over your leg. And then in the morning, when our wives are like, where the heck did all the brooms go? We're just going to tell them evil spirits came out last (laughs) night, and that witches either flew off on them or evil spirits just broke them. And uh, that's what happened. And so to this day on Christmas Eve, if you live in Norway, you hide your brooms. It's weird. It doesn't make sense. And it's fun, but it's not near as fun as this next one. In Caracas, Venezuelans will attend morning mass on roller skates. All right? I'm talking like everybody's just going in... Yeah, it's so bad that in the city, the capital city, they have to shut down the roads because there are so many rollerbladers just sliding hot into mass that it is dangerous, and they can get run over. And if you get run over on rollerblades by a moving vehicle that has probably the same amount of wheels, much bigger, much faster, it would not end well for you. So this is what I'm saying. We want to make a difference in this community. We want to see what God could do. In us through this church. Christmas Eve Eve service. Blade up, boys and girls. Let's go. (laughs) Let's throw the rollerblades on and let's see how God uses it. All right. I think we would go from being the church displaying the the kingdom to just being that church. (laughs) And we don't necessarily want to do that. So all those are great. The most disgusting by far is Greenland. I think they kind of they take the cake and I wish they had cake instead of this. See, this delicacy right here, mmm. Doesn't that look so tasty? What that is right there is a small Arctic bird wrapped in whale fat and then wrapped in seal skin. If that wasn't enough, let's take that bad boy, let's bury it, and let's cover it up in dirt. And let's let it decompose and ferment in the ground. And then on Christmas Day, we're going to dig them up And we're going to eat them. (laughs) Hey, look, kids, teenagers, even adults, I don't care who you are, don't complain about your parents, your grandparents cooking, okay? Because they might send you to Greenland, and you might be forced to eat this madness every single Christmas, all right? Also, if you're on the naughty list, that's going to show up in your stocking. Christmas, This time of year, it is all about hype, and it's not just other parts of the world. It is us, too, right? We start Christmas shopping early January, like January 2nd, January 3rd, January 1st. It's a little bit obsessive, for sure, and excessive. Look, after Thanksgiving, the gloves are off right? We're, we're swinging for the fences. We are going full Black Friday mode. We start to panic over whether we can get our kids the toy that they have been asking for forever. We start to panic over Christmas travel plans. Who's parents we're going to go see, what family we're going to see, how many different states we're going to travel to, we start to panic over everything being just right. And that is especially true if you are the host, right? If people are coming over to your house, everything has to be spick and span. Because if it's not, then your parents are going to start to worry about you and your family. They're going to start to think everything is off. Maybe Sally and Johnny are not as good as we thought they were. And so the stress starts to set in and the anxiety starts to rise, And then we get the Christmas lights out. We start to put those up. Now, we had Christmas decorations up on the inside of our house, but we waited until the day after Thanksgiving to put them up on the outside. We didn't want everyone else on the outside to see we didn't have our lives together. We, we wanted just that would be on the inside and people that were close to us that we would allow inside of our house. And so got up on the ladder, borrowed it from Jacob. That's our tradition every year. Jacob has a better ladder than me. Mine didn't reach. I tried to go up on my ladder, almost kicked it out, got stuck on the roof. That would have been a bad situation. I might still be there this morning. We get three strands up and then plug it in, turn it on, and two-thirds of our lights only had one-third of the strand that was working, and I don't know how that happened, but I got out of putting Christmas lights up this year. I, I, I should have just told Rachel, look, it was witches and evil spirits that came out, and they just sabotaged the whole thing. See, we get caught up into the hype. We get caught up into the craziness, and it's not just Black Friday shopping. It's Every single thing about this season we can get wrapped up in, we can get anxious about. The stress starts rising and rising and rising, but there are things about this season that are truly, truly good. And I don't want us to lose sight of that. As a church, I don't want us to lose sight that there are truly good things that are part of the season, things like family, things like fellowship, things like giving, things like cheer, things like joy things that we will experience on the other side of this life, things that are a taste of heaven in the here and now. But there's a problem with all this hype, whether it's towards the the good things or the bad things or the just in-between neutral things of Christmas. And the bad part about the hype, the problem with the hype, is that it will never be enough. This morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them, turn them on. We are going to be in Ecclesiastes. I say we're going to start a Christmas series off in Ecclesiastes. Jacob already said this wasn't going to be your normal Advent. Don't worry, we will not be in Ecclesiastes for the rest of the holiday season. I do not want it to be that big of a bummer. But I think Ecclesiastes can really set us off on the right track. I think when I was younger, I would look at Ecclesiastes with rose-colored glasses on. I would think, man, whoever wrote that is the biggest bummer in the whole Bible. And if you know your Bibles, you'll know that Ecclesiastes is a bummer of a book. If you're in your 30s, this is the emo genre of the Bible. This is something that is a little bit harder to get through. But the older I get, the more I realize, man, this guy, he had to figure it out. This guy, he'd seen some stuff. And the younger, more naive me, I didn't know the things that happened in life. And now that I've experienced it, the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what? Ecclesiastes might be my favorite book of the Bible. It's good stuff. So we're diving into it this morning. As far as authorship of Ecclesiastes, it's thought that it is written by one of three people. It is either King Solomon, the wisest man to ever walk the planet, son of King David. It could be another descendant of King David, or it could just be an Israelite teacher using a Solomon-esque persona. But really, in the end, it doesn't quite matter because the teacher or the preacher that the author is referring to is not the author himself, but the author is taking these things down and he is um, displaying and he is taking note of everything that the teacher or the preacher is saying. The main idea, the main idea of Ecclesiastes is to deconstruct all of the ways that we find meaning and purpose outside of God. I think that's exactly what we need at the beginning of this holiday season. We need to take all of these constructs around us, and we need to put them to the test against God. We need to take all of the cultural norms and the things society tells us that the holidays have to be, and we need to take the focus off of what they say it is, which is largely consumerism. We need to put the focus back on Jesus. A main quote with a little bit of Hebrew in it from Ecclesiastes is, Hevel. Hevel. Everything is utterly hevel. Now, hevel is Hebrew, and it means vapor or smoke. It means everything is temporary. Everything is fleeting. You reach out for it. You grasp for it, and it slips through your fingers. Everything is an enigma. Everything is paradoxical. Ecclesiastes 1, 2 through 4, in the ESV translation, it reads Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanities. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So we ask the question why is everything heaven? Why is everything vanity? And if you look at the scope of Ecclesiastes from a 30,000-foot view, you can see in the very beginning, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, it tells us everything is hevel, everything is vanity because of time. Because of time, we eventually will be erased. We eventually, and everything that we know, love, and care about will be erased. So everything we strive for, hevel. Everything we go after, good or bad, vanity. And then chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through chapter 12, verse 7, tells us that we can pursue all the desires of our hearts. But in the end, it will still be vapor. It will still be hevel. It will still be vanity. So Merry Christmas. It gets better. See, the author and the teacher and the preacher, two separate. The author takes account of all the ways that we can pursue the desires of our hearts, and really, he breaks it down over the course of 1, 3 through 12, 7 into four different categories, and that is that we can pursue wealth. But in the end, when we pursue wealth, your money will not buy you happiness. It will not buy you security. We can Pursue careers, but in the end, we'll be stressed out. And if we're not stressed out, then we'll be aged out, or we will work long enough that we will not be able to enjoy the retirement that is coming to us. You can pursue status, but in the end, you'll be passed up by those around you, or you will care too much about keeping up to ever enjoy the things that that status brings. Or you can pursue pleasure, you can live it up, you can party it down, but in the end, Monday always comes. So, why won't these things be enough? Why won't the hype of the holidays ever be enough for us as believers, as creations of God? We get that answer in Ecclesiastes 3.11, and our first point this morning is that God has set our hearts toward eternity. God has set our hearts toward eternity. Ecclesiastes 3, 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so he, that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so what we see here is that forever is in our hearts. And when he says beautiful here, it means appropriate. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything appropriate in its time. And so, because eternity is on our hearts, because forever is on our hearts, if we can accept life as it is, with the ebbs, with the flows, everything from the valley to the mountain, if we can accept those things, then even the hardest parts of life will be bearable. There's a catch in all this. There is a catch of God putting eternity in man's hearts, and that is that while we are here, we will feel like aliens in this world because we have hearts that are outside of time. We have hearts that are longing for forever. But yet here we are, trapped in this life, wanting, desiring everything that is in the next life. Part of this means that we will long for everything that we do, everything that we touch as believers to have an eternal return on investment. We don't want our time to be wasted. We want everything we do to ripple into eternity. We want God to use it. But this also means that we will desire to understand our place in this universe against the backdrop of eternity. And part of that means we will want to know everything that God is up to. But the author of Ecclesiastes takes note that we can't. We can't discern any plan or pattern to all of this life because God's purposes are outside of our realm of control. God's purposes are outside of the realm of our investigation. and So on this side of eternity, we will have a sense of alienation. We will have a sense of bewilderment in time. See, our hearts are set on eternity, and because of that, we want things that will last. We want things like heaven. We want things like everlasting life. We want faith. We want hope. We want love. We want things that will fulfill our hearts, that won't be like eating a Little Debbie's that fills us up and tastes good for about five seconds, and we're miserable five minutes later. We want joy that persists through suffering, but instead, we try to fill that void that void of eternity that our heart's longing that God has set deep within us so that we can look towards heaven. And instead of looking towards heaven, what we do is we take our gaze from up and we put it down or in front of us and we start to look for things around us. And we get stuck in a cycle of discontentment. I think you've probably noticed this. You start Amazon shopping, Black Friday, It's not just Friday anymore. It's Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday morning, and then that goes into Cyber Monday, and you better knock all that stuff out. We have this desire, this want to continually find contentment in other things. To be fulfilled by other things. And it may be more material possessions. It may be that dream house. It may be that dream car. It may be that one piece of technology that's just a little bit better than last year's piece of technology that still works, but because of the update, because the new one's coming out, it's going to slow it down just a little bit. I think we all know what I'm talking here. A new iPhone every year for the rest of your life. Thank you, Steve Jobs. Evil. Maybe it's that one toy. That one thing that if you had, it would make you happy. Maybe it's that one thing that your kids have been begging and begging and begging you for. The apple doesn't ever fall far from the tree. Our discontentment ends up in our kids. It's part of living life in the flesh, but we have to fight it. Maybe it's not just material possessions. Maybe it is relationships or what we can take from people in those relationships. Maybe it's if I just had someone for the holidays, then I would be happy then I would be content. Maybe it's this person can make me feel something. Maybe it's if I can just get around family, that will distract me enough from my own problems that I won't have to deal with them. Maybe it's seeking out our worth, trying to find ourselves and our identity around the people that we surround ourselves with. If it's not possessions, if it's not relationships, maybe it's just more of that feeling. Maybe we're just seeking a feeling out from things and people. If I could just get some temporary relief. But we are never supposed to find relief in people. We're never supposed to find relief in things. We were supposed to find this contentment in God and in God alone. So we can very easily get caught up in this self-seeking vanity. It is a downward spiral that is vicious that happens this time every year. Our second point today is that we need to shift gears. We need to shift gears, and we need to find contentment. And the author of Ecclesiastes, he lays it out really well for us, and I think this will lend itself to us as a church. This will lend itself to us as followers of Jesus, finding ourselves in situations and positions and parties at gatherings with families around people that don't know Jesus that will set us apart. And So if we can put this into application, I think it will change the holiday season for us. Ecclesiastes three twelve through 15. I perceive that there is nothing better for them, and to be joyful, and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Amen. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever, nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So the question for us this morning is, how do we shift gears? How do we shift gears? Well, as our hearts long for eternity it lays it out. It's a perfect blueprint. Verse 12, we find joy and we do good, and we find contentment in doing good, and we find contentment in joy. Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Now, this is the time of year where people start to evaluate their lives. We start to sit back. We start to self-evaluate. Okay, if here's the scales, If have I been a good boy or a bad boy this year, right? This is ingrained in us as kids. Naughty list or good list? Is Santa coming or is Santa staying at the North Pole or just skipping over our house? Also, we had chimneys growing up. We're trying to figure out how Santa gets in our house. If you have any ideas on that along with the stalking idea. I would like to hear that from you after service today. We could put this together. Christmas could be great this year. We start to look at our lives. Have I been good? Have I been bad? And we know that we can never earn our salvation. We know that this isn't works based. We know that Jesus earned it and that we receive it because of his work on the cross. But we start to look at ourselves. We also start to look at our lives and we start to find things that we are thankful for. We start to appreciate the gifts that God has given us, and we start to appreciate the people in our lives that God has given us. We start to live a little bit more generously. There is no mystery behind it. This time of year in the church across the nation... Giving always goes up. We get into a giving mode, and we start to trust God a little bit more with the things he's given to us so that we can see a change in other people's lives. This time of year, we start to love people just a little bit more. We start to take a little bit better care of our families, and that's good. Keep doing good. Keep being joyful. Keep finding contentment in doing good and being joyful. The second thing the author of Ecclesiastes lays out is that we should celebrate. We should find pleasure and contentment in our work and in our rest. Verse 13, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That means in all your work. This is God's gift to man. This time of year, especially, as you get a break from the 9 to 5, the 8 to 5, the 7 to whenever job that you work every single day. Be a good steward of that time. Take that time, and don't fill it up with just vegging on this or that or streaming or watching this or that. But spend it on the things, the blessings, the gifts that God has given you in family, in your children, in your spouse, in the loved ones. Spend time with them and celebrate. Take advantage of it. Be grateful for the things that that work has provided. Be grateful for the food, for the shelter, for the transportation, for the gifts under the tree, and reflect on it. Thank God for it. And then what does it say? Celebrate, and celebrate with a good meal. All right, if you're on a diet, When it comes to Thanksgiving, when it comes to Christmas, break that diet. It's biblical, okay? You can be disciplined the next meal, but spend one good meal looking back at the work that God has given you to work, your toil under the sun. And over the course of that meal, as you are surrounded at a table with people that you love, you are surrounded with good food, with good drink, eat and drink deep. These are the things that we have to look forward to in heaven. Celebrate. Along with celebrating, trust that God has everything under control. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people should fear before him as we have worked, as we are on break, let us look to God. Let us praise God for his power. Let us praise him because he is bigger than us. Let us praise God for what he has done because it is things that we could never do. And let us praise God for his blessings on our lives in this season because, frankly, we do not deserve it. But he is rich in mercy. He is rich in grace. He is rich in love, and he blesses us. And this idea is continued in verse 15, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. No, no church family, as we are a group of anxious people, know that there is nothing, nothing that we can do to change what God has already set into motion. Instead of trying to manipulate every detail and have everything just right, and the table set just perfect, and all the food out right at the right time, those are all great things. And that is part of a great celebration. But let's not over-prioritize every single detail, and every single thing being just right this holiday season. Instead, let us know, let us rest in what God has already set into motion. Let us rest in the fact that He is good, and let us find peace in the fact that He is for you. I think a lot of us can get caught up on the naughty list, the good list, and we can think, if if I'm on the naughty list, surely God is not for me. And if we get caught up in a works-based salvation there, too, what I'm saying is God is for you. God is for you so much that he not only wants you to enjoy the work from the rest that he has blessed you with, but he also sent his son to die for you. I'm not sure there's any, actually I know there's no better sign of someone being for you than sending their own son to die for you. So let us rest in his goodness, but also to umbrella all of this, let us just be present. Let us just be present this holiday season. Let us just find contentment in being present because if we are not careful, we can completely miss out on the gifts that God has given us this season. So how do we live in the midst of heaven? How do we live in the midst of vanity? The teacher, the preacher of Ecclesiastes says to enjoy friendship, family, good meals, and sunny days. And unless you're going to go visit family this Christmas season, you have the ability to enjoy all of those every single day right here in the great sunny state of Arizona. So let's pause. Let's enjoy every single moment. Let's put the phones down. Let's turn the distractions off if needed. Let's make the most and steward well the blessings God has given us, the time that he has blessed us with, the family that he has blessed us with, and let us be present in the gifts that he has so graciously shared with us. Let us rest in the fact that he has everything else taken care of. Now, I kind of told a little half-truth earlier. You see, on this side of things, we know something that the author of Ecclesiastes did not The way this whole thing was set up is that we can have no idea of what God is doing at work and the scope and the scale of eternity. And we certainly do not know everything, but we do know something on this side of the birth of Jesus that even the author of Ecclesiastes did not. And that is our final point today, that the mystery is made known in Jesus. And this is what the author of Ecclesiastes is pointing to. We find all of our worth, we find all of our value, all the meaning and purpose in life in God, pointing to Jesus, pointing to this great mystery being fulfilled. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 reads, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God has poured it out on us Pastor, theologian, John Stott writes, For history is neither meaningless nor purposeless. It is moving toward a glorious goal. What then is this mystery which God has made known? This revealed secret, this will, or this purpose, or this plan of His? Well, in chapter 3 of Ephesians, the mystery is the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's new society on equal terms with Jews. But the present ethnic unity is a symbol or foretaste of a future unity that will be greater and more wonderful still. So let's put all this together now. So much of this season may be hevel, may be a vapor that we grasp for that just slips through our fingers. So much of this season may be vanity. It may be the show. It may be the hype. But while our hearts long for eternity, let us be present And let us enjoy it because it is a gift of many gifts of God. Let us realize that God's will and his grand plan have been revealed to us in Jesus. You see, without the birth of Jesus, we do not get the life of Jesus. without the life of Jesus, we do not get the ministry of Jesus. The last three years of his life, without the ministry of Jesus, we do not get the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. without the crucifixion of Jesus, we don't get the resurrection of Jesus. That's the resurrection of Jesus, we do not get to partake in his victory over sin, over death, and over the enemy. We do not get to partake in his bodily resurrection as we want to will be resurrected in him. It is only in him that our longing for eternity, it's only in Jesus that our longing for eternity can be satisfied. That our hearts that are shifted, that are geared, that are designed toward forever, will be sustained in this life, this holiday season. As our hearts long for eternity, let us stay focused on the very person that ushers us into eternity, and that is our King Jesus.